Go to the Lord in prayer with me. We're going to dig right in. No moment to waste. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you're going to do in this time. Lord, may we have so much fun. May we, Lord, have our hearts wide open. And Lord, for all of the cultures and peoples and nations and languages represented, break through every one of those barriers today and speak to us in a way that we can hear so that, Lord, today we can be completely touched by you. If there be any who have yet to know you, let this be now the day of their salvation. We commit this time to you now, Lord, and we pray that you would minister. Have your way, Lord, we pray. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Immerse me, Lord, that you would be seen. And Lord, now just cause your scripture to burst open and come alive that we would all hear you the way you intend. Lord, draw us deeper and more meaningfully into relationship with you now, we pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. We are in Numbers 35. We are now starting with a place stamp, a location. We are looking at the promised land. It's our 40th year. We are now in that place where we are just a step away from entering into the land God has for us. It says in Numbers 35.1, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from the Jericho. It's important to note we begin this with a statement God makes seven times. He will actually end this book with this statement. In the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho. The plains of Moab are the battles we have just fought. Fresh to us is this land. Fresh ground gained. It is, in the simplest sense, the area we can look at and see the victories of God right now. It wasn't long ago, but a month and two, that this land wasn't ours. And we are standing in fresh ground God has given us. It is also, though, a ground where there is a warning, because in this ground there are two and a half tribes that are settling, that are saying, this is good enough. We don't need to cross over. I don't need really to discover a calling in my life. I'm just happy enough to go to heaven. And I'll be honest. Let's be honest here. That is the general face of Christianity today. I'm okay with not going to hell. Anyone in, anyone in the right mind should be okay with that. But the idea of actually discovering a purpose to impact eternity for each of us. Now that's a different story. 
That's the land here he has for us, a land of overflow and a land of fruitfulness. And he has it for every one of us. So please understand, when we look at the plains of Moab, we're looking at victories God is giving us. But we're also seeing the reminder of people that say, this is good enough. I really don't have to cross over. I could learn how to be a really good church Christian. You know, sing the right song, stand up, sit down, fight, 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 when to kneel, when to stand, when to leave, when to say hallelujah or amen, and when to look concerned, and when to raise my hands, and when to not raise my hands, and not to raise one hand, because that's like what, excuse me, you know, or whatever. You know, it's like when to do that or whatever, and to bring the Bible or whatever, so no one is, you know, whatever it is. I learn how to be the best this side of the Jordan Christian there is. I ain't six well, not even six days, but six days and 22 hours are given over. If you go here, maybe 21 hours are given over to everything else. But we're one of those long church services, so you're really doing God a favor, right? Because you're here for a long time. And then you're really blessing God because you actually spend another hour in the other room eating cakes. Because God really likes it when you eat his food in his house. But I'm here to challenge you to cross the Jordan with me. I'm so glad I did, and I'm so glad I continue to stay there. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. Once we get to the other side of the Jordan, we'll discover all kinds of problems. But over there, God intends to make us the light he intends, so the rest of the world looks and goes, what do they have and how do I get it? And he wants to use you, your marriage, your whatever, your charm, your brilliance, your talent, whatever it is, he wants to use it. Don't worry about making mistakes. Be more concerned with doing something in the right heart than doing nothing perfectly. And we are in the plains of Jordan. I'm sorry, in the plains of Moab and being reminded. We are also by the Jordan, which is the river we have to cross to enter the promised land, which reminds me of our past. Because as I look at that river in front of me, somewhere about the distance, to be honest, from that wall to this wall, that's about the size of our Jordan. It's a strong river with a strong current. Swimming across it isn't a great idea, but it is tidal, so it drops at times, and it can even leave land barriers, to be honest. It's one of the reasons why there are certain areas near En Gedi where there were soldiers posted, because they know that when, that, when it gets really dry... It actually dries up and people can just walk right across. We have stories of friends that were in the reserves. They get in what's called store formation where they're all down with their guns out, heel to heel with each other. So if they see something, they tap the heel of the guy next to them. It's a way of communicating. And there they are and they see something and they can see the eyes staring at them as it's crossing from the from Jordan over. And they look and they're just about to blast it and then they realize it's a goat. So, I mean, you get it. The landmass is crossable. But here on the other hand, where they're at, It's going to take an act of God. But it reminds us of another time when we stood with a big body of water and how God parted that as well. And we look at our past. And when I look at our past, the one thing I see more than any is that the enemy has been defeated. That doesn't mean he can't talk. That doesn't mean he can't act like he isn't defeated. But let's be honest, that doesn't mean he's won anything. My 11-year-old is ridiculously gifted at foosball. Now, that may not get her anywhere in life. Or maybe I'm just not that good. But we, I mean, just, I didn't know this, but we picked up a, a really cheap table that's now sitting in one of our rooms. And she goes in there. And she schools me, man. It is humiliating. 
I occasionally I'll win. And, but even when she wins, I'll walk in the other room and go, man, I just I showed her no mercy. I can act like I won, but I, it's clear I haven't. Because when I win, I actually run out of the room before she throws the ball at me. So, I mean, I can, you can tell. My family knows the difference. And even when you win, that doesn't mean that the person that is defeated doesn't talk like they haven't lost. And you can choose to listen to it, but it's lies. You're aware of that, right? It's lies. You'll always be. What happened to you when you were younger, that's who you are. You'll never be the new creation, Scripture says. You'll never make anything of yourself. You'll always be addicted to this. You'll always. Those are lies from an enemy that has been bound and defeated. Oh, that God would have taken his mouth. And we see the Jordan in front of us, and it needs to part. God will have to do that, and that's okay. He's in the business of parting things like that. But we're also across from Jericho, and that's our future. That's the battles that seem to be, to be honest, that had it not been for review of the Jordan and review of the land we stand in, it would have been infinitely more impossible in our eyes. But we've seen what God's already done. We see what God's done in our past, what God's done in our present, and that really revs me up. And it just says, all right, the slingshot has been pulled. Lord, loosen the fingers and send me flying. He will say that in Numbers 26, 3, 26, 63, 31, 12, 33, 48, 49, and 50 here. And then it'll be the last verse of this book. He really wants us to know where we are right now. If we are going to cross over to great fruitfulness, this is the place you're at right now. And at that place, God speaks. Verse 2. Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land among the cities or around the cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. The common land of the cities in which you shall give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. A cubit, by the way, if you think about it, is basically the distance between the bottom of your elbow and the tip of your longest finger. The measurement. The easiest way to think of it, to be honest, would be a half a yard. So when he says, I want there to be a 100 cubit area marked off, that is a 50 meter area marked off as their ground. Does that make sense? So there's a city, it'll be in the middle, and then there'll be this. However, notice the next verse, it says in verse 5, And you shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits. The south side, 2,000 cubits. The west side, 2,000 cubits. And on the north side, you guessed it, 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. This shall belong to them as common land for the cities. It's important to note that God not only gave them a, a if you will, a 50-meter range outside of each city for their animals, but then he gave them another 50 meters as buffer ground area um, to make sure that, that there, there was nobody parked so close that they started infringing on the Levite territory. What's interesting, though, is there's only one other time, by the way, here as we see these cubits, there's only one other time where this measurement's used, and I think that's interesting. 
The other time when this measurement is used, interestingly enough, is when they're going to cross the Jordan. And Joshua's going to turn to the people and he's going to tell them, now listen, you need to stay back 200 cubits because you stay back 200 cubits because you don't know where you're going. And that ark's going to need to lead you. And by the way, I love this. Because have you noticed this? In every group, if there were five of us and we were going somewhere and I was the only one who knew where we were going. I'm like, hey, we're going to go to this special restaurant. You guys are going to love it. And I'm like, okay, you guys, come on. The five of us, we're all going to go. It won't be but a city block down and three of them will be ahead of me. You know what I'm talking about, right? Now, they don't know where they're going. I mean, I'm walking this way. They're going to walk this way. They're going to get there ahead of me. They don't even know what they're looking for. It's really fun in Israel. Because there are times where someone will start wandering ahead real quick. See, you're warned. Where's Arena? I should probably keep my eye on her. And they'll just they'll be like the the you know like the little lamb chasing the butterfly. Doopy doopy doop. And I'll be like everyone else, come on over here, and we'll just kind of pop around the corner. So they'll be like la 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 la, and turn around and nobody's there. And he says, look, at, I don't want you doing that. God's like, look, at, you need to recognize that when I say I'm going to lead, that by virtue of saying that, you actually have to follow. But let's be honest, that is a really difficult thing, if we're going to be honest. Because we can say, Lord, I will follow you, but then we'll go our own way and tell God to get behind us. God, bless my plans, and I've got these great things for this day, and oh, Lord, please give me that house, and give me that job, and give me that girl, or that guy, or whatever the case is, and I need this, and I need that. And how is, how is that exactly following God? And you're like, oh, you just tell God what you want. Yeah, if you want to make him laugh. Because what you're telling us, God, I gave my life to you because I was making a mess of it. And now that you've saved me, I'm going to take it back and tell you what you need to do. Because now, basically, I'm going to make another mess with it. But I wanted to incorporate you to help me. Because like, I have no interest in making your life any more of a mess than it was before. My desire is to be your Lord. To clean up your marriage and to change your family and to make your life revolutionary and to use you to touch the world. But for that to happen, you all going to follow me. And I want this space. But you see it on the back of an ambulance or whatever. What warning? Stay this far behind it. Well, that's the idea here. Now, interesting, though, that the city's in the middle. And it's interesting because that ark, by the way, was where we saw the presence of God. We knew God dwelt between those cherubim. And what's interesting is now there are these cities where these Levites are going to live. And that same space is given. And we go, oh, man, if I could just get in there, I just know that I would fellowship with God. Which is interesting because that's the place where these Levites... Well, that's where they're going to live. They're going to be a total of 48 cities. Look at that with me here, and then we'll back up a little bit and give you a little bit of review on it. It tells us, by the way, in verse 6, Now among the cities in which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge, to which a manslayer may flee. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities, because God knows how to do his math, you shall give the Levites shall be 48, in case you didn't get it with the 6 and 42. You shall give with their common land. And the cities in which you give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. The larger tribe shall give many, and the smaller tribe you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that he receives. Why would God give land to the Levites and not to the others? Well, first of all, here's a quick review. In Genesis chapter 29, verse 34, we read that the Levites come from a guy named Levi. That would make sense, now, wouldn't it? He is the third son of Israel. The name means attached. It is the third son of a woman named Leah, who, by the way, 
got married to a man out of deception because the guy was really in love with her sister. But imagine, ladies, if your dad said to you, you know, I'm never going to get you married off. You're going to have to pretend to be your sister, sleep with the guy that wanted to marry her so that he's stuck with you, and then I'll make him work for the sister too. How many of you think, thanks, Dad, this was a great moment. Hope we have another talk like this soon. That's messed up. But that's the situation. And I'll be honest, this girl, all she wants is to be loved. So she has a son, and the son's name is Ruven, which means, see a son. She's like, look it, see a son. Now my husband's going to love me. I give him a son. You probably heard, it's like the general rule is you try to provide an heir and a spare. So when the second son comes, Shima'on, which means he has heard, it's like God has heard my cries. This girl just wants to be loved. She's now given the man two sons. It's like now he's bound to love me. Nope. But that doesn't mean he's staying away from her. She has a third son. And the son's name is Attached. And she says, now my husband will be attached to me. She's given him three sons. Ultimately, she'll then have another. She'll have six of the twelve, by the way. And the fourth one, his name is Praise. Oh, now my husband will praise me. All she really wanted was to be loved. And she will not get it from that man. Interesting, God knows. And when God chooses to have his son be born, it will be through this woman. He hears her cries. He knows her desperation. He sees her loneliness. And he says, honey, hold on. I've got a promise to work through you. But that third son attached, attached in Hebrew is Levi, from which we get Levi or Levi. So those that were born with Levi genes are the Levites. In the next book in Exodus, what we learn is Moses. Sorry, I had to do it. Moses and Aaron and Miriam are all from that tribe. By Exodus chapter 32, a very definitive moment in the history of Israel. Moses has gone up the mountain, Mount Sinai, to get the Ten Commandments and the blueprints of the tabernacle and a bunch of social laws as well. And when he comes down... There's a bunch of people dancing naked around a golden calf. Which, by the way, was something that was worshipped in Egypt. And he asks his brother, who he left in charge, Aaron, who's also a Levite, he says, what is this? And Aaron gives you one of the most goofy moments in all of Scripture. I don't know, brother, I don't know. We just threw a bunch of gold in the fire and out came this golden calf. We started dancing and getting naked around it. That's kind of the idea here. I mean, the way I hear that, it has to be like Tomater giving the answer. Moses will grind that thing into powder. There ain't any way you're going to be worshiping that thing again. And then he draws a line in the sand. He says, if you want to go and dance around your cow, you can dance around your cow all you want, but you ain't hanging out with me while we do it. I'm going to go follow the Lord. So you see this line, and that's where we get the line in the sand from originally, because he's the first to draw it. And he says, now, anybody who's going to stand with me in the Lord, stand over here. And who stands over there? The tribe of Levi. And from that, God says, now that's my tribe. They were the ones who consciously made a choice against their own culture, against the culture that was called God's people, to take a stand with them and not bow down to the cows that were around them. 
I want to warn you, beloved, calling yourself a Christian is one thing. Following Jesus is another. And you could call, I can say this, you could call yourself a Christian and go to hell. You can call yourself a Christian and hang out with what's called Christian culture. And you could go and go to the clubs with the Christians. And you can go and do the silent discos with the Christians. And you can go get hammered with the Christians. You can get pregnant by a Christian. You can get married by a Christian church. And you can go ahead and stand up and sit down and still go to hell. Because unless you accept the gift of Jesus Christ, you are damned like the rest of us. That's rough, but it's true. But I'm here to let you know that gift is offered to you. But when we choose to accept Christ, we don't just choose to get a get out of hell free card. This is a, I'm choosing you as my Lord. And that's where things really hit home. Because Jesus never said, well, all those who called me Savior, come over here. He said, look, at why do you he even plays it hard and says, why do you even call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? How do you call me Lord and say no? No, boss. How does that work? But there in Exodus 32. God says, now that tribe's going to be my priestly tribe. They took a stand for me. How many times in Scripture do you see people where a line is drawn and people step forward and say, you know what, actually, no, I'm going to step forward. Well, that's the case here. They're the only ones who have instantly redeemable houses. Their houses are safe uh, and Leviticus. But in Numbers, we have this as God starts speaking about giving them the land. He says in Numbers 18.20, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Please understand what God said is, look, at if I'm going to pull you in to the family business, then I want you to not be concerned about other things in this world. I want you to let me take care of that. I want you to be about my business. Now, look, at there are going to be 11 tribes out there. And what they're going to do is they're going to get out there and they're going to be in the world and they're going to try to influence the world for a minute. Might I just say that would be anyone who isn't in vocational ministry. That doesn't mean you're not called to ministry and it doesn't mean you're not called to full time ministry. Yeah, every one of us are called to full time ministry. Only some of us will pull the check from the church, if you will. The danger is when the church. Those that are staffed, if you will, get more involved in the things of the world than the things of the Lord. And that's what he's telling us here. He's like, look, for you guys, I don't want it to be about owning houses. I don't want this to be a game of monopoly for you guys. It's, oh, look, I've got three houses. I could put a hotel here. You know, I don't want you to be doing that. I don't want you to be about making sure that you're that it's all about social injustices and you're going to make sure that these people eat a good diet and that's as far as you go and these people get a blanket and these people you get a big handshake. In the end of it all, you are the representatives of eternity and you better bring Christ to those people. And for you guys, I don't want you like and he tells us this all the way and then in all the way we get through the epistles and it's like, look, you know what soldiers are like? They don't get involved in civilian affairs because they want to please their commanding officer. And what happens is we can diversify till we're impotent. And we're so busy doing this and doing that and doing this, and we're not focusing on anything that has to do with Christ anymore, but we'll call it ministry and we'll stand up and get applause by unbelievers because we're nice. But we can't be nice if we're doctors. You know, it's like giving people placebos, numbing their pain when we have the cure but not administering the cure because then they die just numb. 
instead of being cured. And there's the scary part of this, beloved, is that's what Christianity can look like if we're not careful. But he goes, for these guys, hey, look, we've never owned a house, and I'm not dissing anyone who does. But I'll be honest, if we got that kind of money, it probably would wind up going to an orphanage somewhere or it would wind up building something for someone else. And I'm not saying check us out, we're awesome, you're not. But there's a part of me that knows what happens when you buy lots of stuff is you get so consumed with it that you spend all your time protecting stuff you have. And then people become secondary. And how dangerous is that for ministry? And all of a sudden, it's, it's, you know, I, I watch it in the music business all the time, right, where you watch some guy, he's got a great heart, and he's writing songs about Jesus, and, he gets, and his dream is he gets signed to a label because that will make a difference. And then what happens is he gets on a label, and then they look, and they're like, we're going to produce, and this is how much money we're going to put into it. And then what happens is he's like, yeah, I want to tell people about Jesus. And then they're like, you know what? We didn't make cost. If we're going to ever cut another a second CD, here's the way you need to trim down on that focus and this so you can get a broader group of people as fans. And then what happens is the ministry gets thrown out the window so you can make sure you meet the bottom line. And it just happens in so many things. When we started investigating rehabs that were called Christian rehabs, we looked at 19 of them in London. 19 of them. One of them still made claim to Christ. You know what happened with the others? The same story with every one of them. I could write the script by the third story. They started getting government funding. And then the government said, if you still want to keep getting that funding, you need to chisel off some of this stuff because the government can't support that, ironically, in a Christian country, or so it's called. Eighteen of those 19 are now, oh, they're still trying to keep people off of drugs, but they just won't preach Jesus anymore. The other one, we have been there for three and a half years straight, and we have a study there every week because we want to support them in every way we can. And here's my, here's my challenge as we move on in this. God tells, and look at some of you, God will call to leave everything and just serve him in a way that will be to serve his people or just to get on the streets and get to the lost or whatever it is. But he calls every one of us to wherever you're going to be, your classroom, your workplace, your neighborhood, whatever it is, one way or another, and you're like, but I would, couldn't approach a stranger on a bus. Well, then pray that God will have strangers approach you. Watch what happens. I dare you. I'm like, Lord, you know I'm not an approach a stranger kind of person, so make it organic because I don't want it to look contrived. And then it's like I can't take a step without someone bumping into me and going, what are you about? You know, or what, so what do you do for a living? Or why are you here? It's like every question that they ask, the only way I can answer it is to bring in Christ. And they're like, how do you slip that in? I'm like, he asked. So what do you do for a living? Funny you should ask. It isn't like I sell ice cream. Not that that's bad. I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, what the heck is that? I'm like, I'm so glad you asked. But here's the dangerous thing. God's not talking to the Levites. He's talking to the other tribes. You see, what he's telling the other tribes are, hey, look, if you can't be full-time on that aspect of it, you're going to have to cough up some cities. Hey, the good news is God isn't going to, to bleed dry somebody that's thin. Those bigger tribes, you guys should be giving more cities. Smaller tribes, you still... By the way, he tells us nobody doesn't give cities here. Did you notice that? Go ahead and shoot up, if you would, Ellie, that... that um. The image. The one, not the one that you were going to sneak in, but just kidding. All right. 
here's what gonna, it's going to look like by the time we're done. Here's Israel. There's the dead. Remember, it's like the med, the dead, and the red. And, um, and there's the Sea of Galilee. Here's how the tribes are going to... Remember how there's the Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Menashe? Look at how gigantic they become. Uh, and ultimately, by the way, this will become Decapolis. Perhaps you're familiar with that. Deca means ten. It's the ten Roman cities. This area here, by the way, will become so kind of spookyville. Like, you know, this is where people would take a pilgrimage on October 31st. Um, this is where the man of the tombs would be. To kind of give you an idea what that kind of looks like. So, and if you can see, see these red ones right here, 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 and here. Do you see those? Maybe it's kind of hard for you to see. This is Hebron right here. This is Shechem. By the way, you can see these. There's one, two. There's a third one here. Whoa. And there's one, two, and there's three here. Those are our six cities of refuge. Do you notice how they're spread out? It's supposed to be that no matter where you're at in Israel, you could take a half-day journey and get there. That's the idea. That tells you how small Israel is, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so here's our six cities as we see them like this. Go ahead and flat back to that other one if you would. Um, and then if you look at this, all these other little cities here, these other little cities that are sort of polka-dotting the rest of it, that's the other 42 cities that were given then to the Levites. That's kind of the way it works. So here's the idea. He says, look, at, I want you all to take care of your Levites. God says, they're my employees in essence. They're my people that I'm raising up for the family business. And in that, I really want to make sure they're taken care of. So verse 7, it tells us, but it's not just the Levites he's concerned about. There's the manslayer. And that's what we'll talk about here in a moment. And that brings us beautifully to the cross. Verse 7 says, So all the cities that you will give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land. And the cities in which you give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. Larger gives more, short, smaller gives less. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan. Did you notice the when, not the if, but the when? This is a done deal as far as God's concerned. Then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you. That the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. God is going to make a big distinction between intentional killing and accidental. He tells us that there is, by the way, God's punishment for intentional murder is killing. The idea is there will be no repeat offenders. When a guy is murdered, he is killed. By the way, they didn't have prisons that kept people for 40 years. You're probably aware of that. If you were on going to go on trial, you went to a land, and we'll see here, a city of refuge as a holding cell. It was a city. So you can face your accusers. When you get there, I want you to plan ahead. Before you know, listen, we're going to cross the Jordan. It will be a land of overflow. It will be a land of fruitfulness. It will be a land of calling. And we're going to be used by the Lord. And before you even get there, plan ahead that you are going to invest in the place God puts you for the people that are going to serve the Lord in your area. That's key. Verse 12, it says, They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger. Did you notice that? There is a place where even the Hulk can't get at you. Nor Thor, not even that guy in that robot suit. That the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. 
And of the cities in which you shall give, there shall be six. Remember how we looked at the six there, cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, three cities on that side. You shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which are, will be cities of refuge. It doesn't matter whether you're living the compromised or the full-on. Bottom line is both sides need cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side, three on that. Verse 15, these six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person, can you say, shigagah? Try it. Or shigagah. Shigagah is the word that is used by the Sanhedrin that we have, that will ultimately be translated for the Greek for the word we have here as accidentally. Do you see that? Well, here, actually, I'm sorry, this is our Hebrew. Our Hebrew is shigiga. It is the word that is used, and listen to me now, in Leviticus 5.18. When God speaks about a trespass offering, and he says, So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred, listen, and did not know it. It shall be forgiven him. Even in the sacrifices, there was a difference between intentional and accidental or shigga sins. Now hear me. By the time of Jesus, there is this challenge among the ruling party. Remember, God will talk about the things that he hates that are an abomination to him. A haughty look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. God is not into that at all a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil. Now, please hear me. The religious leaders knew that, and they did not want to condemn the guilty. I'm sorry, the innocent. So what they had to discover is, they had to discover whether the guy knew what he was doing or not. And we'll see here in a moment what will decipher some of that. Like, for instance, if you come out with a knife or with a gun, it's fairly likely you were trying to kill someone. You know, it isn't like, I don't know, I have this skull cracker and I hit him in the head and his skull cracked. That's so weird. Yeah, I'm not too sure that that's so weird. The question is, did he know what he was doing? Was it intentional? Was it premeditated? Or did he not know what he was doing? And the word shigaga means to really know, to know with intent. Does that make sense? Follow me on this now, and then we'll kind of close, we'll bring this around. Notice it says here, let's give a few ideas of what it could mean to really know what you were doing. Verse 16. If he strikes him with an iron implement, he whacks him in the head with a steel bar, stabs him, with a knife. That's just, that's a, an iron implement. So that he dies, he's a murderer. Murderer shall be put to death. If he strikes him with a stone in his hand, or brass knuckles, by which one may die, and he does die, well, then he's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. If he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon, what's a wooden hand weapon used for? Killing people. I don't know. The guy died. I hit him with something that kills people and it killed him. How weird is that? By which one would die and he dies, well, then he's a murderer. He shall be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. The avenger, by the way, that tells us that it isn't just like they had a guy that stood there with that, you know, kind of 
scary black cape over his head that was sort of gigantic and hairy and sweaty with like a big axe like that. He just stood there and he was like, Ugh. you know, it was like sort of a Neanderthal and just waited for the next guy to chop off their head. Families were involved in this. If he pushes them out of hatred while lying in wait, he hurls something at him so that he dies. Or in enmity, strikes him with his hand so that he dies. God knew about karate even back then. The one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He's a murderer. The avenger of blood shall, shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity, ha, 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 what a joke. Ah, and he falls to his death. I didn't mean it. I didn't realize the railing was there. Or throws something at him without lying in wait. Hey, catch. I didn't mean with your head. Or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him. Hey, you guys, let's see who can hit that tree with these rocks. And then your buddy walks by. He wasn't in enmity with him. He wasn't seeking his harm. Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. The avenger would be the father, the brother next to the closest of kin. Now, it tells us here, notice in verse 25, the congregation will deliver the manslayer to the hand of the avenger of blood and the congregation shall return to the city of refuge where he fled. And he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside of the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, well, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of the city of refuge, then the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, well, then he shall be guilty of blood. I'm sorry, he shall not be guilty of blood. The guy was outside of his city of refuge. He's fair game. Because he did not, he, because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And all these things shall be a statute of judgment throughout your generation, throughout all of your generations and all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person the murder is going to be put to death. Listen, on the testimony of witnesses, a single witness is not sufficient for it but a person for the death penalty. Now, now listen, here's the way this works. So, Christian, he's out somewhere and he's going to go and he's going to go see a movie. He's like, Dwayne, come on with me. That'd be awesome. Sure. Nathaniel and Nathan, Nate, Nate, come on with. Nate, Nate, Dwayne and Christian. And they're all going to go see a movie. And they all go and they get some food and they're all laughing and ha, 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 like that. And Dwayne kind of turns around at Christian and Dwayne goes, ah, oh, come on. And he pushes him and, and Christian's like, whoa, he gets hit by the 384 somewhere in front of, you know, in the new Barnet. And he kind of looks and he's like, ah, 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 ah. Did he know what he was doing? Not to the intent of killing someone. Christian's family now, if his father is alive, chances are that will be the first avenger, will come over to avenge his blood. The moment that that happens, Dwayne hightails it. And off he goes to the city of refuge. You know the great thing about a city of refuge? Is that Dwayne can take his family. It isn't like he can hide in a jail cell and wait for people while his whole family suffers. Now, listen, we're, again, we're talking about a situation here where the guy is not intentionally trying to kill someone. And he is there with his family in the city of refuge where he is safe until trial. At the trial, 
they're going to ask for witnesses. Does that make sense? Now, the witnesses have to show that he intended to kill him. Does that make sense? That he knew what he was doing. Do you know who the greatest person to testify would be for him? Christians. But we really can't have that, can we? Because, well, if Christian didn't die, we wouldn't have the trial in the first place. Does that make sense? But what if, as he was pushing him, Christian saw the 384 bus and he would, out of love for Dwayne, says, you didn't know what you were doing. Sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Sounds a little weird. But he said it, and there was Shirley and there was Lauren. And the two of them heard his statement. And they went to Dwayne's trial. And they say, listen, he publicly declared really didn't know what he was doing. Does that make sense? Well, that doesn't mean the guy just gets to do whatever he wants. He has to stay in that city of refuge then for the rest of the time that the high priest is living. Well, what if the high priest is a young lad? Well, then you better make yourself at home in the refuge. Does that make sense? And as long as he stays in there, he is safe, safe, safe. Does that make sense? Huh. Refuge. This word. Refuge. Refuge. Hmm. So I started looking at this and I started thinking, hmm. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble or in trouble. Psalm 144, verse 2. It says, my loving kindness and my fortress, my, my high tower and my deliverer. The, the psalm is speaking of God. My shield and the one in whom I take refuge. And I go, wait a minute. For that to happen, the only way we could take refuge would be for us to have not known what we were doing. Do you wonder why then Jesus says in Luke 23, 34, from the cross, in front of all these witnesses, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? Jesus, in that statement, gave us the opportunity to flee for refuge. Every human being, because of that statement. The question is, where do we flee for refuge? Well, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge. Jesus, the one we killed, became our refuge. That's the craziest part about this. How long must we stay in Christ? Well, until he dies. Well, that's a problem because he doesn't die anymore. So I guess we just better stay in Christ forever. Because who would be the avenger? God himself. As a matter of fact, it says in Romans 8:34, who is he who condemns? Well, it's Christ who died and furthermore is risen and even is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Here's the most amazing part about it. We flee to Christ for refuge. How do I know that that's what the case is? Because Hebrews 6.18 says, We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us in Christ. That's the whole point of Hebrews 6. We fled to Christ for refuge because he declared that we could. And because he declared that we could, as long as we stay in Christ, we're fine and fair game. The good news is, no one is able to snatch us out of his hand. 
I am as safe as I could be from any avenger because I've been forgiven, washed by the blood of Christ, and I am safe in my refuge, who is Christ. Do you get it? Now let me ask you, what about you? Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, or are you still banking on being nice? On the other side of it, David's out for a little bit, and as David's out, he's with Giancarlo, he's with Jay, and as the three of them are kind of out, and Bjorn's there too, so we're going to make it another foursome, and the guys are out kind of having some fun, but Giancarlo has hated David. He's like, I just hate the way he gives announcements, and he tells people, I just want him dead. Me and I just want to, every time I hear the name David, I'm like, oh, get up, gal, gal, you know. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden he sees a 384 bus and he's like, perfect, boom, and he throws him in front of that. And the other guy, see, the guy's guilty of murder. There's no fleeing for it. And what he tells us then is, listen, you can't take ransom for this. It isn't like Giancarlo can go and start paying off some guy and getting out of this situation. The problem is, That's the way that God wants it, but that isn't the way our system is. Let's face it. There are guys out there that if they kill hard enough, but they pay enough, chances are they may wind up going out and, oh, they might have to do community service. But if they kill somebody, they just may get out of it. So hear me. It's all right. No one will know to be our secret. As we wrap this up, please hear me. And we're going to bring this around to our last chapter because it closes with marriage. Knowledge brings us here together. But God, first, before that even happens, he wants to make clear, you can find refuge in Christ. And we have a high priest who is tempted in every way, yet without sin. That's why God makes so clear that Christ is our high priest in Hebrews 4. That we can boldly go to his throne of grace in confidence. Oh, beloved, have you fled for refuge in Christ? Because if so, you are safe. Do you realize all the enemy is, is the prosecuting attorney? He is not the avenger. Do you realize that? The avenger would be the father who has adopted you. Think that through. Prosecuting attorney can say all kinds of stuff, but he's just an attorney. With all due respect, he's just a person. He has no right. And that's why God set it up this way. He has no right to perform anything punitive. He can only accuse. Does that make sense? So wrap it up. Last chapter. Look at it with us. We're there. It says then in chapter 36, verse 1. It's a short chapter, by the way, just so you know. It's only 13 verses, and it's all a single issue. The Father, it says the, the and by the way, to close out, it tells us in Matthew, by the way, verses 16, 26, where it says, what can man give in exchange for his soul? You can't buy your way out of it. And the whole idea of it was, what if you gained the whole world but lost your soul? Would it be worth it when you stood before the Father? And now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, important, remember, Manasseh was the tribe that split in half, and half is, on, is going to be on each side of the uh, Jordan. Of the families of the son of Joseph came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, the Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord 
has commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brothers also had to his, to his daughters. If you remember the situation, it's Numbers 26 and Numbers 27. These gals, there's five of them. One girl's name is Hogla. One girl's name is Milka. And if you think that's bad, there's one named Mala, which means diseased. I mean, Hogla and, and Milka, to be honest, aren't that bad when you translate. And then there's one that's my first one. diseased. But you get it. No wonder, no wonder why dad died. Maybe the girls got him. But anyway. And there are, four, there are five gals, and they're like, Moses, when we get this land over there, we're not going to get any because we're women. People tell us that the Bible's confining. It is the most liberating book. And Moses seeks the Lord, and God says, you know what? No, let the girls have the land. It was their dad's land. They should have it. But now all of a sudden, here's the deal. The guys of Manasseh are going, but wait a minute. What happens when they get married? I mean, if these girls get land, these five girls, let's say these five girls got the area of the borough of Islington. But then the problem was, what happens if they all marry guys from Judah and from Asher and from Gad or wherever? The problem is, because they're girls, they're going to marry into families. You know what's going to happen? There won't be our land anymore. All of a sudden, the borough of, of Islington will become part Gad and part Judah and so forth because they're going to marry into these families. That's a legitimate concern, wouldn't you think? If you were the guys from Menashe, you're like, I don't want to lose some of our land because these girls are going to marry it off. So they came and they brought this to, to Moses. It says in verse 3, if, if they are married to any of the sons of other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when Jubilee comes, by the way, I remind you that's Leviticus 25, where the land always goes back to the original owner. It won't be theirs. As they marry, the land's going to go to these other guys. It says when the Jubilee of, children, um, of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe in which they marry. So the inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of the tribes of our fathers. So Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord. He goes and he says, all right, God, what do we do with this one? And I love it, by the way, because there are these times where you could just tell someone's asking Moses and he isn't just going, well, according to my own wisdom, I'm all kind of, you know, I'm 120 now. I should have it going on. You know, he's like, you know what? Mm, I'm old enough to know I should ask God about that. All right, God, that's a pretty good one. What do we do? What I love is what God gives is freedom, but what God never bends on. Look at it with me. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, let them marry. By the way, I just think this is great. It starts about, it says, what the tribe of, of the sons of Joseph speak is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry whom they think best. Stop. Did you notice what God just said? God actually said, ladies, here, daughters of Zelophehad, you can pick your own husband. Try that in the Middle East and see how well that flies. Try to read that in Saudi Arabia and see how far you get. Ladies, don't read that to a stranger if it's a guy. It's like, you know what? Let them marry who they think best. But they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. Now, that may sound gross, but when we're talking about a group of over 30,000 people, that's a lot of people to choose from. There's bound to be one guy in that tribe somewhere that's not so bad. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance, because it's not just going to be these gals, obviously there'll be other incidences, 
And any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe. So that the children of Israel, by the way, it's four generations ago that there was just sort of the guy. So the children of Israel may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another. But every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep his own inheritance. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. So, Mala, Terza, Hagla, Milka, and Noah, which means rest. I love that that's the last one. I kind of get it. I have a friend who had, I think it was seven children, and he named his last one Selah, which is a pause in, in Psalms. I thought, well, he's like, well, we're done. I'm like, shouldn't you have called her Amen? It's just a pause, man. But Noah's, Noah means rest. It's like, okay, that's our fifth girl. Rest. We're calling now. Resting. And then Zelophehad dies. So, anyways, the daughters of Zelophehad were married to the sons of their father's brothers. So they were kissing cousins. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's families. These are the commandments of the, cho- of the judgments in which the Lord commanded the children of Israel, notice, by the hand of Moses, in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho, just like we started. Did you get that? Now listen to what God does and doesn't here. What God says is, ladies, you don't have a dad that's telling you, you know, kind of helping you out with picking a husband here. Choose the one you think is best. That's a great freedom. You still get land. But let me tell you what God doesn't do. God doesn't free his view of marriage. Did you notice? And let me warn you on this. This is the idea in God's eyes. In the marriage, ladies, with all due respect, a woman is absorbed into her husband. She gets his name. She gets his honor or dishonor. She gets to be part of the family business. She gets to be part. Ladies, if you're all single, and I recognize several of you or many of you are here, let me just say, be careful with the guy you marry because he'll probably have kids like him. Think that through. Pray for my wife. Mm. You're going to be able to, you're going to be able to bring about more of the same The good news is, ladies, you can say no or yes. God has given you a great grace here. Because you aren't saying yes or no once you say yes, if that makes sense. You are surrendering. And you want a man who can lead, who's going to be godly, who is in love with Christ and challenges you to run with him. And if you're like, well, I'm going to, don't give me this. Well, if I don't find a guy like that, I'm going to die alone. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, how could you possibly die alone? But if you're going to actually add to Jesus someone, some man that's imperfect, he better well darn be in pursuit of him. Here's the good news. In the last chapter, we saw that we could make Christ our refuge because Jesus declared it from the cross. But it was in the Gospel of John that Jesus made clear who the bridegroom is. It's him. And we, as his people, get to be his bride. And that's why that's so important that God doesn't bend on marriage. Because we get absorbed into Christ. We take on his name, not ours. We take on his honor, not ours. My poor wife, when we first got married, she could go to the same store for six months. No one would give her the time of day. 
I'd walk in the second time. They're like, Tony, how's it going? She's like, how does that work? I'm like, I have no idea. And they'd be like, hello, Mrs. Tony. And she was not hip on that. She was a Southern California girl. It was all, you know, it's like, you know, you make a name for yourself. And she's like, what? And I could just see God was having fun. He's like, you're going to get absorbed, honey. Mrs. Tony. Next month, it'll be 25 years. Ask her if she's okay with Mrs. Tony now. Prayerfully, she'll say yes. <laughs> Beloved, hear me as we go to prayer. This is why it's so important to cross the Jordan. Where we say, Lord, I want to be absorbed in you. I want your identity to be my identity. I want your priorities to be my priorities. I want your goals to be my goals. I want your business to be my business. I want to be able to be so tight with you that the fruit that is born is going to look like you. So that the world goes and says, it looks like there's a lot of other people that look like Jesus around here. And I'm like, yes. Isn't that what you want? But you can say no. If it says, hey, choose who you think is best, that's why Jesus had to come as a man. Because you had to pick somebody from your own family so we could come and be the kinsman redeemer. Beloved, as we go to prayer, Genesis ended with a promise. It was Joseph. He was, gonna, he was dying, and he ultimately dies and says, make sure my bones make it over. Take me back into the promised land. Take me back into the promised land. Exodus ended, by the way, if you remember, with a tabernacle being constructed. It was set up and God made his home among the people. Leviticus ended, by the way, with God saying, look it, you know how important a vow is. It's going to cost you, but breaking the vow will cost you even more. The numbers ends, the marriage. Listen to that again. A promise, God dwelling among them, keep your vow and a marriage. Isn't that beautiful how that works? And that's what's happening here as we pray. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Who died on the cross for your sins and mine, rose again to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Have you said yes to that offer? If you haven't, I'm going to give you the chance. If you have, my challenge is, is that all you're banking on now? Or do you really want them to be absorbed? Oh God, absorb me so that people will see you. Because that is an improvement in every way. We, we don't just get into the place to take refuge. We go in there to be absorbed now. The city of refuge is now my home. Not just the place I'm staying until the high priest dies. I am so safe here. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I thank you so much for the blessing of this text. What a beautiful book. You have given us now over the privilege of the last few years to walk through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers here. And we see in every page your love. Jesus, you've told us that there were many who sought the Scriptures thinking by them they possessed eternal life, and yet they are the ones that testify of you. You come in the volume of this book, every line, every page. 
And Lord, I just pray right now for every one of us, first for the believers in this room, those that have actually accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. I pray right now, Lord, that we would allow ourselves to be absorbed in you. That it wouldn't be about making a name or a face for ourselves, but about making you known. About being in that place, Lord, where we're just happy to nestle into your bosom and just feel your arms around us and to love and be loved by you. As you provide our protection and our provision, you cover us in your presence and pleasure. We recognize as well, Lord, that you will want to bear fruit through us, that the world will look more like you because of our unity with you. And God, that you have such great plans for every one of us. Lord, that you've called us all to full-time ministry, but there will be those that will be Levites. And Lord, what becomes clear is whatever ground you give us can't be given to another. And for the people that you've put in our ground to minister to, to love on, to preach you, to share you, to demonstrate and to, to give that offer of you to, we can't give that to somebody else. That's ground you've given us. And I thank you, Lord, for the ground you've given me and that the place you have for me of fruitfulness and overflow. And I thank you that it's not a place for someone else that's bespoke to me. But, Lord, for every one of us, whatever ground you give us, may we not be busy figuring out how to pawn it off to someone else. It's ground you've given us. Your gifts and callings are irrevocable. You already know how to bespoke and specifically cater and to uniquely fashion a ministry, a calling for each of us that is unique from the other. So, Lord, let us claim the ground you've given us and do with it as you call us to. Lord, make us people that don't want to just say, all right, I'm out of Egypt, that's enough. But, Lord, to bring us across the Jordan to that place where we can delight in you. So, Lord, I just pray right now for every one of us that we will. Lord, as we've sought to to, to lay hold of the refuge that you are and we are in you, and you tell us that we are in you and whoever is In you is a new creation. Thank you for that. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, right now in this room, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm not not here to embarrass you, I'm here to offer this to you. I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end of it all, if if you say yes, you want this gift, this refuge of Christ, allowing Him to reinvent you and make you a blessing to others to make you that new creation. Then at the end of this prayer, I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, let those words be my words, so be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I'm a sinner. Like everyone else, I'm a sinner. And I don't want to just hope that whatever I do is enough. I'm guilty. But you in your perfect love for me knew that I would be guilty and sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, your only begotten. That he would die on the cross for my sins. So there at the cross, all of my guilt could be properly punished. But they're declaring that he could be my refuge. His own testimony. Open the door for me to run to him for refuge. And so, I do. I believe that Jesus did die for my sins, but I also, just like Scripture promised, 
believe that he rose again to be the Lord of my life and not just the Savior. And so I flee to him for refuge, but also as the one in whom I could be absorbed. A whole new being now. His. Free and whole. Covered in mercy. Protected and provided for. Delighted in and loved on. I say yes. Have me now on yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, now I pray as we prepare to just love on each other, make us people, Lord, who bless each other like you call us to. We commit ourselves to you. And Lord, now make us ambassadors of this refuge. In Jesus' name, amen.